Sweet. Should we yeah. start? Yeah, Sounds good. good. Cool. So, how's everybody? Good. Good? Yeah. You, so the conference started last night, is that right? Yeah. Yeah, last night. Uh, I think officially the conference started today. Today. Okay. So. And you've already had like workshops yeah. this morning? Mm -hmm. Yeah. What what people go to? There's one for South. Yeah. Oh nice. I know Sweet. Awesome. Anybody else? Um, uh, worship, gaming, uh, to worship or something. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, we're really happy to be here. We, um, we almost missed our flight this morning. That was kind of interesting. Like, we'd all planned out when to meet, uh, where to meet, and then we were going to all drive up uh, to LAX together. And um, we all arrived apart from one of us. <laughs> and uh, he was like the guy that kind of uh, organized the whole thing. So, um, we waited for him for like 15 minutes or whatever, and then, um, well actually it was more than 15 minutes, and then uh, and we called him and he was, he'd like, I guess he'd set an alarm, but um, had fallen back asleep, so he was still in bed. So um, we we just made it, I think we, we got to the plane like 10 minutes before they were closing closing it, so uh, it was close, but, um, but yeah, it's great to be here. Um, so who actually plays, who plays drums? Um, yeah, who's just here just because, why not? Yeah? So, cushion? Same thing, it's good. Yeah, it's important. Yes. Cajon? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Awesome. Um, so this, um, I have to make a confession actually. Um, I got a text asking what, um, what like workshop I wanted to teach or what kind of a subject I wanted to teach on. And um, at the time, I was, I was in England, so I got the text at like 2 a.m. And um, my phone lit up, and uh, honestly, I don't even remember. Like, I was so out of it, I was so tired, that, um, like jet lag and everything. Like, I, I remember responding, but I didn't know until like the next morning what I'd actually written. And, and this was the title that I'd given, so I was like, oh man, I should probably like actually think of ten things. So um, these are like ten steps um, that I've that have helped me basically to kind of. Um, broaden my perspective on drumming. So some of it's like how to help um, become more creative when you're approaching like percussion or, or drums. Some of it's like, some of the steps are more based on how to just improve generally. I think um, a lot of times we have this moment where maybe you've been playing for a while or you've been practicing for a while and you hit that, that ceiling. Um, you get into the rut of, uh, especially in worship music, we quite a lot of the times play the same songs um, and involved in the same style of music and so, um, you play that long enough, you get to a point where you're like, I want to improve, but how, how do I go about doing that, you know? Um, so these are just 10 steps that um, have helped me, so I'm hoping that I'll be able to communicate them in a way that um, hopefully helps you. Um, we're actually, after this, the next workshop after this, um, we're kind of combining drums and bass together, so you kind of see how we approach playing as like a, a back line in a band. but. Um, but yeah, I guess I've got like a limited amount of time, so I might as well just jump straight in. But um, uh, the first one, actually, um, I've got ten steps, but I don't think we're going to have like time to go into super like detail with all of them. So I'm going to tell you all ten, and then we'll focus in on a few kind of main ones. Um, so the first one I found really helpful is to find yourself a, a practice buddy. Um, I'm not talking about like a teacher necessarily. I mean, 
find a teacher, that's, if you haven't already, that's amazing, you know, such a helper. Uh, I'm talking about someone that you're not even going to have lessons with, it's literally just you get together and you, you like jam together basically. Um, so uh, I've found it really helpful, I've been doing this a little bit um, more recently and it's just been a huge, huge help. Um, so uh, I have this friend, um, he's a few years younger than me, um, incredible drummer, like really incredible. Um, but the amazing thing is, like, he is a totally different drummer stylistically to what I am. So I grew up, like, pop, rock, indie, that whole thing, and, like, you know, like, even in worship music, like, Hillsong, Phil Wickham, Bethel, you know, that, that whole style, kind of contemporary worship, like, that's what I grew up with. Um, this guy is, like, jazz, soul, like, fusion stuff, like, really, really cool. Um, and he's incredibly gifted. Um, but we just see musically completely differently. Like his, the way he hears things and the way he um, perceives different rhythms is completely opposite to how I view it. So we'll listen to the same song and we'll get something totally different out of it. And um, and so he actually suggested, why don't we just like get two drum kits? We'll sit in a room together and we'll just play, and we'll just see what happens. And um, and at first I was a little bit intimidated because he's got like. I mean, he plays stuff, and I have no idea how he does what he does. Like, he's incredible at it. Um, but we just uh, sit together, and we, we both play the same beat, just uh, jam together. And then um, he'd get, I'd give him, like, four bars space where he can do whatever. Like, he can fill that however he wants to. Almost like a drum solo, if you like. Um, and, then, and then we'd start playing again, that rhythm. And then, and then he'd give me four bars. And the cool thing was, like, seeing someone that has a completely different taste and perspective on music. Just seeing where his mind goes immediately to like play something and I'm like, wait, how did, how did you think of that? Like, how are you playing that? How, where was, you know, where were you thinking? Um, you know, you're thinking about like the break, you're getting four bars, what were you thinking? How are you feeling that, you know? Um, and just, it's really casual, really, really just chilled out. Um, and he just talks through his technique uh, the way his mind is working, how he's perceiving it all, and um, for me that's huge because my mind would never go there. You know, like I would never think uh, to play that way or to approach it that way. So for me, just um, creative, creatively, creatively, um, it's just been amazing to have a completely different perspective on drumming, and um, and I found that even just since then, um, I feel like my mind is broadened on how I'm going to approach a song, um, even in a worship time. I, I think a lot of times with contemporary worship, um, you kind of go to like your safe zone, like this is what I know, this is what I'm comfortable with, this is what, like the tried and tested methods of like this rhythm, this feel that works in the song. And um, just having uh, a different uh, set of ears to that, um, someone's like, oh, I hear this differently, this is how I hear it. It's just been really helpful. So. Um, I encourage you, if you've got, I know some people, um, who's like the only drummer at their church? Yeah, I know, that's like definitely like a difficult one. I, I would encourage like, um, doesn't have to necessarily be someone that's uh, a lot better than you. Um, it can even be someone that actually plays similar style, but just getting together, networking with um, other drummers is really huge. I think um, in our worship teams, you know, we have multiple guitarists sometimes, multiple singers, and they kind of get together. But drums, you never really get more than one drummer on stage, you know. Um, 
So it's like usually like the lonely, the lonely person, you know, at the back. So um, if you're like the only drummer in your church, I would like encourage you even looking broader, just local churches around your area, um, different styles of worship, uh, and just kind of seeking out those um, those drummers in the area, you know, um, and just and just reaching out. And, uh, it doesn't have to be like like I said, not necessarily lessons, uh, not really intensive, like really chilled out. Um, but just grab them, see what they think, how they how they approach things. So does that kind of make sense? Yeah. Any questions with that? Cool. Awesome. Okay. Um, who who has like a really set like practice schedule? Like they have like a, a whole thing planned out. Like they know exactly what they do. Yeah. No one ever does. It's like so rare. Who's like I wing it every time and just play whatever. Who never practices, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's like for me, um, uh, I teach um, drums at School of Worship in Coast Mesa, and we have uh, students that come through every year. And like, some of them are religious with their practicing. Like, they sit down, and they, you know, they got like a set time, um, whatever. Some people just never practice. Um, I, I always like. I know people that practice for like hours a day. They'll set like, I don't know who has time for that necessarily, that's kind of crazy, but you know, they'll, they'll go like, um, actually one guy the other day I met, um, I mean he's a professional so I guess he can just fill in the time how he likes, but he practices six hours a day, every day, like weekends, weekdays, regardless, six hours, and it's like, um, some people I've seen, they, they split that time up, so they'll do like two hours and then have a break and then tell, he just goes six hours straight like 12 to 6. I don't know how you do that. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure his neighbors must hate him. I don't understand how, <laughs> quite how that works. But, um, but one thing I found really helpful is um, setting up a, a schedule. Uh, really good, like same time every day. Um, the problem, if I don't set a time, I usually don't get around to doing it. You know, if I'm like some point today, I'm gonna practice. Uh, never really happens. Um, but if I'm like, okay, between two and four today, or two and three, whatever, um, lunch break, I don't know, whatever it is, it's like, I'm practicing and this is what I'm practicing, like, um, you just schedule out, you know, maybe like, working on rudiments, does everybody know what I mean by rudiments? Yeah? Who, does anybody know It's totally cool if you don't. Yeah? Good. Okay. So like, um, you know, you might work on like, rudiments 15 minutes and then like, uh, an exercise, like 15, 30 minutes, and then like 15 minutes of playing, playing some songs and stuff. Um, like I, have, I have to schedule it out like that, otherwise I never get around to it. I'm not like disciplined enough to sit down and work on it. But um, one thing I found really super helpful is to record yourself practicing. Um, this has been one of the biggest ways that I've actually improved as a drummer over time is um, whether it's like your phone or however you want to do it, um, just whether it's your uh, exercises or whether you're playing along with a song, just record that and then listen back. And I promise you, you will be surprised as to what you hear. Um, quite a lot of the time, I first found it like in the studio when you're recording a song and you think you've nailed it. You're like, oh, that sounds good. And then you listen back and it's like, you know, like, um, have you ever heard yourself? Um, your voice, sorry, you heard like a recording of your voice and it doesn't sound anything like what you thought it did and then you get all self-conscious like, man, I hate how my voice sounds. 
it's kind of the same way with drumming. Like you play um, play a song, and you listen back, and you hear all the mistakes that actually you don't hear when you're playing. When you're playing it, you your mind kind of goes to a certain spot, and you you think you know how it's perceived, but listening back has been like I hear the mistakes. I hear like the inconsistencies, which sometimes are like major things, like, gosh, how did I even think that was okay to do, you know? And then sometimes it's just like the tiniest little like technique thing, you know? It's like, man, I'm like kind of inconsistent with like the the volume I'm hitting the snare drum, you know? Or, um, or I have a tendency to speed up with this type of fill or, you know, whatever it is, like, um, I don't necessarily hear that um, when I'm just playing, you know? So, um, that's been major, and if, if that's one thing you take away, I would encourage you to do that. Um, <clears throat> um, who's ever like um, spent time in a studio recording? Anybody like, recording drums of any kind? Yeah, it's like you. Um, the studio is kind of a scary place because it suddenly shows up. It's like a perfect recording, you know. It's not like um, you can paper over a few cracks here and there, but um, but you totally hear. Where your weak, where your strengths and weaknesses lie, um, and usually the weaknesses show themselves up a lot more than you'd like. So, um, so yeah, even like if you've got an iPhone um, or whatever, just set it on a table, chair, something, and, and just as you're practicing, just listen back. Um, um, the the biggest one I actually do is um, rudiments, um, like recording rudiments. So. Um, Everybody know what I mean by like single strokes, double strokes, paradiddles, yeah. So um, if you, if you don't, that's totally cool. But they're like um, the three like most basic rudiments. I think there's like 40 rudiments altogether, over 40, um, and they can be really tedious and boring to learn, like really tedious. Uh, you know, you just set like a metronome and then you're like playing through them, and it's like, oh great, okay. Um, but these three are like the key ones. If you if you don't practice any others, I would encourage you these three just like sit down and, and spend some time. Um, even if it's like 15 minutes every other day, just um, get used to playing along to a click and uh, and keep those rudiments like fluid. Um, so these are ones that I like to record because quite a lot of the time, like I don't hear um, I don't hear the inconsistencies. So um, single strokes, right, left, right, left, right, left. With all these, you're just looking for each stroke to be really consistent. Um, everybody has like a stronger hand, like a dominant, dominant hand and a weaker hand. And the weaker hand needs, needs extra work, needs extra love. Um, quite a lot of times, um, like I said, we, we have students at school that have never played drums and they, they come in for lessons and it's always the same thing. The dominant hand is way louder than the weaker hand, you know, it's like... Maybe not quite as extreme as that, but you know, like you can definitely hear the dominant hand. Um, so with <clears throat> with all of them, you want to just record yourself, like keeping it as consistent as possible. Um, my drum teacher always used to say, if you were to close your eyes, you shouldn't be able to tell when the rudiment changes. You know, I mean, some of them have characteristics where they have like accents in, um, but like for instance, like a single single strokes and double strokes, you should be like not able to necessarily hear the change, which is really hard to do, and I'm um, still working on it. But um, it's just been really helpful just like record it, listen back and like, okay, 
my weak, my weak hand's like lagging slightly. So just going in, particularly in between um, single strokes and double strokes, like. And just um, kind of ironing out the little errors you hear. Um, that just goes for like basic technique, getting that down. Um, I think a lot of times when we learn a new instrument or learn new things, we want to immediately see how fast we can play it um, and how great we can make the sound, you know, fit it in a drum solo or, or whatever. And um, before we can kind of get creative, we need to have the, the building blocks like solid, you know. Um, any, any questions about rudiments? No? Good? Okay. So um, the main ones to focus on really are like um, the paradiddle is really great to learn um, to practice with just simply because it, it's a combination of single strokes and double strokes. Um, and, a, and a lot of rudiments are that. They are just combinations of single and double strokes. So if you get that one down, it's like a huge boost going on to like the more advanced, um, advanced rudiments. Okay, so uh, that was number two. Number three, I'm not really gonna touch on this, I think this is pretty obvious, but um, listening to as wide a range of music as you can, like genre-wise, um, I can't really overstate that. Um, it kind of goes without saying, I think. If you're like, I, I don't need to tell you, like every genre has a different um, style, different techniques that are involved in, in playing that. So um, if you're playing drums in a uh, metal band, I don't know, that was the first thing that hit my head. Like the technique and what you're looking for and the sound you're after is completely different if you're playing like classical or like jazz music. Um, completely different. Like I have a friend actually who's, who's relearning or he's learning jazz at the minute and he was like a rock drummer for the longest time and um, for like years and that was his thing and then he's like, you know what, I, I want to learn jazz. Um, just sounds really cool. I mean, who doesn't want to learn jazz? It's like insane. Um, so he got this teacher um, teachers like insanely good, you know, just like ridiculous. And um, they spent the first four lessons, and the lessons are, like a couple of hours each, right? And I think he he was he was charging like big money for these lessons. It's like fifty bucks an hour, something crazy like that. Um, yeah, it's like that. Um, but I mean, he's insane teacher. So you're like, okay, whatever. But um, four lessons, just they looked at one thing, and that was how to hold the stick four lessons and you think about it and you're like what on earth but like the the whole thing about jazz drumming is like the uh, the way you hold the stick like the stroke the sound the characteristic of that stroke that you're looking for so he'd been a rock drummer you know like uh, match grip just like power you know like getting as much volume like a solid hit and then he goes to jazz drumming and it's like it's all about like ghost notes you know it's like it's about the feel, the vibe, and actually, like, smacking that snare drum just ruins it, you know? So, it's, he spent, I think it was a good six hours of lessons on just how to hold it. That's before they even looked at how to hit the drum. That's just holding it. So, like, he has, he's in the process of having to relearn everything that he learned, you know? Which is, when you think about it, it's insane. Like, spent years learning and building up your craft. To a point that's good enough for a few genres of music, you know, and now he's got to relearn everything to learn other genres. So it's it's one of those things like you never stop learning. Um, even like the greats, you know, the drumming greats, um, they were still like complaining about their technique and finding flaws and 
new genres that they were needing to learn that they just weren't up to scratch with, you know? So um, that one's just great. Learning genres is great because you learn the characteristics of, of different sounds, different um, types of music, different songs. The, once you've got, uh, if you think about it like, if you play worship music, you've got like this box. Um, but then the more genres you learn, the bigger the box becomes, right? So um, you're probably not going to play like a ton of like jazz worship music in, in, on your Sunday morning, but um, I kind of want to look at it in a much broader sense, like the idea that, you know, the Lord's given us a gift to invest in. And, um, you know, the parable of the talents, you know? Um, one guy just had like one talent and he hid it, you know? He didn't invest in it. Um, I don't want to be that person that's just like, okay, I'm comfortable with this genre of music and I'm good at that, so I'm going to stay in this bubble and never look to broaden it. So I, I encourage you, like, maybe even pick a genre of music you've never really tapped into before or something even that you don't necessarily even like, um, but just start to listen to the, the like, characteristics of that genre, um, the kind of go-to rhythms, uh, Fills things like that, um, and just start to pick apart. Like, okay, I'm listening to metal music. What are the characteristics of drumming in metal music or um, pop music or country music, whatever it is? Um, and just starting to pick parts, and you'll find little things, just little things that you kind of like. Like, I, I hate country music. I really, really hate it. But there's like certain parts of it when it comes to drumming. I listen to like certain songs, and like people know I hate country music, so they'll put on country music just to irritate me. But I, I like hear some of the drumming, I'm like, that's actually really cool what he's doing. Like, I won't tell anybody, you know, it's like, I keep that to myself. But like, I listen to it and I'm like, man, that's, that's awesome. Like, what, um, what if I can take that and use like that element in a Sunday morning? Because um, we have so many different settings, right? You've got like main service, auditorium, like, just go for it. And then you have times where it's just like acoustic and you've got like a stripped down kit and playing maybe with brushes. Or something, and the same technique and the same sound you're after doesn't work in that same. So, just kind of broadening your um, your musical tastes. Who who actually like you would say? Okay, I, listen, I actually have a really broad taste in music. Like, I kind of listen to a lot of everything. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. I know, like some people just stay in like their their zone, you know. Um, so that can actually be really hard even introducing a new drummer into a worship team, you know, if they just play one style, they might even play that style really well, but then you move into a worship genre, and it's like, you kind of need to know quite a lot, a lot of different things, you know, have the basics down in a lot of different areas. Um, so it can be really hard to introduce new people into those roles if you're not kind of, do you know what I mean? Like, not soaking up different influences. Um, sweet, so number four, um, this one's, this one might not sound like a big deal, but actually kind of is. So number four is learn to sight read. Um, looking at more of the theory side of things. Um, so like a little backstory to this. Um, uh, a few years ago, we, we do uh, this class in school. Um, well, music theory, that's the class in school. Um, but we have like a, a rhythm element to it. So we have like, I think it's like a block of like 10 weeks first 10 weeks of music theory are rhythm, so it's looking at the theory behind um, rhythm and drumming and percussion and, you know, uh, different, um, looking at, like, drum notation and looking at time signatures and um, note values, all that sort of stuff. And um, 
had this guy teach the song, teach the, the class that was just like I think he had like a, a degree in like uh, or a doctorate in drumming. I was like, I didn't even know you could get that, but just like, yeah, crazy, crazy good, um, but really knowledgeable. Like knew, I mean, just blown away about how much this guy knows, you know, and could sight read at a glance. Was so good at it. Like, um, I think he used to, um, he actually used to do the soundtracks for Disney. So like, they'd call him up and he'd go into the studio and they'd lay the sheet music down and he'd just play it, like straight off, record it, and you know, you listen to like the biggest soundtracks that Disney put out and it's like, that's him doing his thing. Um, it's crazy, yeah. And he'd come in and he'd teach and everybody would be like, it's like, this guy knows so much. And then um, last year, a week before school starts, he like calls up and he's like, can't do it. Um, I can't teach this semester. And it's like a week before, so we're like, who do we get? And for some reason, I got chosen to like take over. And I'm like, my theory sucks. Like, my knowledge of theory, I can't really sight read all that well. How am I supposed to fill these shoes with a week to go, you know? Um, so it was a bit of a crash course. Like, um, I'd got lessons when I was a kid and kind of learned to sight read, but I, as kids do, don't really focus in on the important things, just want to play music, you know? So like, I never really focused on it. So I was awful. And this, that was years ago, you know? So even now, like, I'm looking at it like, I don't know what any of this is, you know? So I had to learn. Uh, at least the basics, enough to teach like a basic course in it um, really quick. And I've actually found that actually reading, learning to read, sight read, um, at least like the basics, kind of getting a general feel for it and learning the theory behind what I'm doing massively improves what I'm actually playing. Like I, I'm not like subconsciously like, um, like really forcing myself to like Im implement it into my playing at all. It's just kind of starting to seep through. I just find it, it's happening already, you know? And just my understanding of like time signatures is improving just because I'm learning the theory behind how it all links together, like different time signatures, the relationships between them, um, and how you feel those time signatures, you know? Um, just be really super helpful. So if you're like someone who's, who kind of, if you're honest, music theory kind of sucks, kind of in between. Who's like pro? Okay, who's like good? Feeling like, yeah, I've got this down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. If you play another instrument, that helps a huge amount. Um, but that's been like, even if you just take uh, a few lessons, or there's so much like YouTube, online, different uh, classes. Just like the basics in theory is crazy important, and um, it's been a huge benefit to me. Um, there's I have a friend back in in London. He's a session drummer, and um, he. Uh, he tells a story, and I, I don't know, I don't know how anyone lives like this. But um, he uh, he went to the studio to lay down this like the song or a few songs for like an album or something. And I guess like I don't know if he just had an off day. Uh, he's kind of new to the whole session drumming thing. But walks into the studio, lays down the track, and the producer's like not having it. Like his timing's really sloppy, you know. Um, so I think they actually they kicked him off. Like they hired another guy. So he went home kind of depressed, you know, like, damn, I, how can I be a drummer when my timing sucks, you know? Um, just super embarrassed, because they were like paying him, it was a good gig, you know? And like, he'd failed, got fired, you know? So he went home, and uh, you know, um, metronomes like uh, clicks? So he had, um, I'm guessing he had electronic, you know, like, if you've seen the analog ones, you know, like, 
Can I go back and forth? If you play piano, you know what I'm talking about. Um, he had one of those, but he put one in each room of his house. And then I think it was electronic because he just played it, right? So he had, um, he had the accents set to different times. So each, each room had a different time signature going at a different tempo. And he just played all of them and then just went about his day, like doing whatever. And they're just playing in the background. So I, I'm assuming he wasn't like married or had kids because I can't imagine. I can't imagine what that's like. You know, it's bad enough having one metronome going, but like this guy's just like metronomes in every room. You know, and um, playing it. And he found like he wouldn't even concentrate on any of them. He'd just go about his day, like watch TV, cook, clean, like whatever he was up to. Um, but what he found was over time, he subconsciously was starting to notice the differences between different time signatures, like the, the relationships between different time signatures, and you've got like, you know, um, how does 6A relate to 3-4, and what are the differences? A lot of times those two get mixed up, people think they're the same. Um, so how are they different, and like, uh, what's the relationship between like 7-8 and 4-4? Like, okay, if I play like a 4-4 beat over a 7-8 song, how many bars do I have to play before it comes back and it fits in again? You know, like all those sorts of things, like he was just subconsciously noticing. To the point where um, he, he claims now that he can go into a studio and lay down a track without a click and his timing's just on it. Um, so I'm not suggesting that you do that necessarily. I don't think you'd last very long. It'd just drive you insane. But, um, but learning the theory, learning kind of just the, the basic theory and um, all of that really helps bring out the creativity. I, people say like, you learn the rules and once you learn the rules, you learn how to break the rules, you know? Um, Actually, learning the theory uh, really helps with... A lot of people think that learning theories um, kind of stumbles your creativity. You get put into a box of what's right and wrong. Um, which, in some cases, I've seen, but most of the time it's like the guys that know their theory know how to break the rules to just bring out such crazy creativity. So, um, encourage you with that. Um, number five. This one's another one. This one... Um, was one that I hated as a kid, really hated, but it's been huge. So um, this one, leave with your weaker side. Um, what my drum teacher would do, I don't really have time to do it now, but um, he would like give me an exercise and um, you know play a beat, whatever, and uh, and I play it and uh, play it to you know play it over and over again to a point where he was happy with the standard of it, and then he'd be like, okay, right. Um, stand up, so it's now, and he'd flip the kit, like swap it over to left-handed, and then he's like, play that same thing. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> you know, like this is awful. And so I'd have to play it left-handed to the point where playing it left-handed sounded as good as it did right-handed. So the lessons were pretty brutal, actually. It wasn't fun as a, as a kid. You know, you just want to play like the fastest, loudest song you can, and you know, you're doing all this. It's like really horrible, but found over time, like, the main problem with a lot of drummers is their left, well, left-handed if you're right-handed, right-handed if you're left-handed. Um, that's like stumbling block, right? It's the thing that holds us back is like, um, even double strokes, right? The, um, you start to build up like the pace of your double strokes, people freak out. Because it's like, if your weak hand isn't up to scratch, building up those, those double strokes is like hard, right? So you got to like, That we, if that left hand is like off or isn't happy, you know, 
it it can really frustrate you as a who's been like sat in practicing and they just can't get it and it's just like the most horrible thing you know um, weaker hand is a weaker side even left left foot um, n very few drummers seem to implement the left foot very well um, most of the time it's just clamped clamping the hi-hat shut and you it never moves you know um, so your weaker side is huge and I found that the more I train my weaker side um, and the more I more responsibility I can give it in a song to like lead out is um, the groove just sounds so much better you know um, so for instance like um, think of something so like just a real straight beat I start to add in ghost notes and things um, with my left hand um, who, yeah everybody knows what I mean by ghost notes yeah cool so like um, adding them in is like kind of hard um, with with your weaker hand giving it just um, uh, kind of that independence and that role is kind of hard sometimes um, it's harder to play quietly than loudly right so it takes quite a lot of control to play something super soft um, but still give it that energy that it might require so giving your weaker hand the role of playing something quieter can be really tricky right so um, so just swap that kit around and uh, just maybe even like start with something really simple um, just a real solid 8-beat groove just something like that um, basic fill um, but just start to give your weaker side that responsibility of like leading the rhythm and um, and then just kind of start to vamp it up you know like as you get more confident add more stuff in and try more advanced things um, and just get to a point where if you can where you your left hand is as good as your right hand you know so like um, I do I do quite a lot of ghost I don't actually necessarily even notice it a lot of times it's only when I listen back I'm like oh man that was a lot going on there like um, like even just uh, just in like a normal groove so um, so being able to take a song from like this Adding like little things in just brings a lot more life to a beat rather than just a real straight like backbeat, which sometimes the song requires just a really solid backbeat and nothing more, and that's great. But um, just just uh, experimenting, allowing your weaker hand to kind of build up. Um, did you, do you have a question? Sorry, I saw your hand. I don't know if you had a question. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you want to go for it? Oh, what was the? What was the one? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so, have like um, accents and ghost notes. An accent is like, um, uh, oh, I'll try and play. It. So, like, um, just like a louder stroke, basically. So, like, usually, like the backbeat. You know, that just that solid snare hit. Um, kind of be an accent. Um, a ghost note is like a really soft note. It's almost felt more than it's heard. Um, it's one of those things you don't necessarily note. You notice when it's not there, I guess, is the main thing. So you're, what you're aiming to do um, is actually work on making those ghost notes as quietly. Like, what's the quietest? It's 
really hard to do actually. But like, what's the what's the quietest I can hit this? And then adding it in into a beat. Um, some ghost notes as well are kind of like they're more there just to add feel, if you like, kind of vibe to a to a beat, um, which is really cool. Um, so does that kind of answer? Yeah. Question. Sweet. Awesome. Ten minutes. Awesome. Okay. Goes so quick. It's like it's um, so, uh, where were we? Number five. Number five. Halfway through. Great. <laughs> cool. Okay, so number six um, is playing with less. Which I'm, let's do these. Um, playing with less really helps creativity. Um, I go to a lot of churches where the drum setup is like crazy, like just nuts. You know, you've got like four billion toms and like just every known symbol in the world. You know, like it's just nuts and you're sat there like, how do I play all of this? Uh, how do I use all of this? So um, what, I've, what I do, I mean, my setup at the minute is like, actually this, pretty much. Um, so that kind of, I don't know, Beatles setup, I guess. It's like two cymbals, two toms. Um, but what I've really started to do as well is like take stuff away. So um, a lot of times with students getting to play along to a song, I like to kind of be cruel with it as well. It's like, They'll play a song and they'll be like confident with it, and then I'll just like take a bunch of stuff off the kit and like play that song again, um, but this time without all the stuff. So sometimes it's like, um, like hi hat, snare, floor tom, like everything else is gone. I'm like, okay, play, play that song with that, and suddenly, and a lot of them like try and play the song exactly the same way, but they just substitute like the kick with the floor or whatever. Um, but actually. Uh, Taking stuff away really helps because suddenly you've got a you've got like very limited amount of uh, instruments. Even if you like just do kick, snare, hi hat, got a really limited choice there. Uh, and it's like, how do I get multiple sounds out of one drum? Uh, how do I make like three of uh, three or two piece um, sound like a full kit? Just sound really full and like great, you know. Um, so like Scott, Scott quite often needs. Um, we we'll go to this one particular church where. Um, it's just acoustic. It's like me and him. Um, but I hate, I don't really like playing at home very much. I don't know, to me it just like isn't the most inspiring thing to play. Um, but if you play that, that's cool. That's awesome. No, nothing against you. But, um, but usually in that church they use cajon and that's kind of it. And so I was like, how can I just like change it up a bit? Like maybe use a kit, but like use it in a way that's really, just fits really well with that sound. Because um, it's just like, a vocal and acoustic, so how do I go about doing that? So, um, uh, actually, um, but why would you do is like suddenly take the beat and make it sound like a much more like percussive, so using a lot more subdivisions. Um, so, uh, let's see, uh, so what I would do like, um, oh, here we go, okay, t shirt. Oh, actually. Oh, that's okay. Uh, I packed everything into the, like the tiniest bag, trying to get on the flight this morning. Cool. So I got like a, a t-shirt. So usually I might use like rods. Um, I might use even brushes. Um, but say he's playing. Scott plays really percussively on his acoustic, like a lot of like sixteenth notes and things. Um, he's like originally a drummer, so he kind of still plays guitar. Like as a drummer, which is really cool as a, as a drummer to listen to. There's so much like rhythm going on in that. It's like cool to build off that. But like, um, 
I would never really use sticks, so this is kind of weird. But like, um, instead, like I want to maybe add, still add like a lot of vibe and energy to it. But um, be like one, two, three, four. Like something like that. Um, and that might be like my starting point for the song, but I don't want to play that through the whole song because that's just like not that interesting to listen to, you know? So like, um, I might take a basic beat and then it's like, okay, I've got like, I've got the kick, I've got the snare drum itself, I've got the rims, um, and I've got the hi-hat which adds a lot uh, to just the energy of the song. So like for the verses, um, totally got off the top of my head, uh, might be just like, um, adds like a lot more drive to it um, so just mixing it up and just exploring what you have maybe even just force yourself to play like a really stripped down kit one Sunday if it goes with the overall sound of your band um, and just like try and pull out different sounds like um, instead of playing like or like a full beat almost I might move it onto the rim something like that um, and just building it being really um, conscious of what I'm playing and when I'm playing it um, so the two two words actually I really like to build everything I, I do off um, one is like sensitivity and then the other one is um, what is the other word I forgot it uh, intentionality which you might think is kind of weird to put them, the two words together but um, the way I actually like if I'm looking at a drummer to play in a worship team, um, you know, we talk about like the heart behind what we do as being like the most important thing, and then ability. You know, I'd actually put sensitivity and intentionality like that in between. Like, I actually put it above ability because I find like um, a lot of drummers are great drummers, but they're bad worship drummers. You know, like there's just not that mindset there. Um, so what I mean by sensitivity and intentionality is basically like what you choose to play how you choose to play it, and when you choose to play it. So um, sensitivity, like looking at a situation, looking at the room and going like, how does this, how is what I'm playing gonna like help this time of worship? How's it gonna help the song? And sometimes I might not, well, that might mean like not playing at all. Like drums are more of a distraction right now, so I'm not gonna play it. But just having that sensitivity of knowing what to play and when to play, and how to play it to get the best, uh, just to really compliment that time of worship the best you can. Um, but intentionality is like, I want to look at it like a journey. So I don't want to necessarily like, I like to look at each song as like a graph, you know, just like an upward thing. I don't know what you call it. Um, but like, I don't want to necessarily play the same thing in the verse, like the first verse as I do in the second verse. I want it to be like progression, like we're going somewhere. So like quite often you look at like the lyrics of a song. It's like a journey, right? A worship song. It's like, you start one place and you end at like the, the finale. So drumming wise, I want to look at that in a similar way too. Like we are very like whatever rhythm or whatever fills I'm using, 
are to complement what's to come next. That makes sense. So um, I find like if a drummer has that, uh, and maybe not like the, the best, uh, you know, um, doesn't have the best skill, but has a really good sensitive ear and um, is very intentional about where they place things. Um, I take that any day over a drummer that can just shred, but um, but doesn't have those things. So. Um, yeah, playing with less. Um, number seven, playing to uh, playing to the room. Um, yeah, that just kind of goes without saying. Just being really sensitive, like whether you're using like rods or brushes, shakers, things like that. Just approaching each room um, and and using what's going to be best to like complement that time of worship. Um, so number seven, number eight, incorporating percussive and electronic elements to your playing, not just necessarily like. Okay, I'm a drummer, so I play a drum kit all the time. But start to look at like, can I add in like, um, everybody seen like the Roland drum pads? You can upload like, yeah, the SPD. You can add like samples and loops into that thing. Just starting to build like a kind of a sonic soundscape, I guess. Um, so like substituting like, instead of playing the snare, I'm gonna play like an electronic sounding snare. Just adding those things. Um, we started playing to tracks, and a lot of those have like like shapers, tambourines in the tracks, they have like electronic sounds and just building those those layers. Um, just be creative, like take a song and just start to build on it. Like we're not looking to like overcomplicate it or overplay. Um, we'll go over the top with it, but like trying to make it sound really just creative and interesting, you know, like um, it can be, we can have multiple layers and really interesting beats going on without it being distracting, you know. Um, we talk a lot about like, Overplaying, but I think sometimes that puts us in the place of underplaying as well. Like we get so focused on playing too loud or playing too much that we end up playing too quietly and too simply. Like not willing to like bring that thunder when it needs to be bought. You know, like kind of just sitting in the corner and playing like a straight beat. You know. Um, so it's number eight. Number nine um, is uh, understanding like a song structure and and the phrasing. So this goes back to like intentionality, it's like um, understanding like the link between parts of songs. So this comes in with like looking at lyrics of songs and realizing where we're going lyrically and um, learning kind of understanding the links between like verse and a chorus and when I hit that chorus I want to like hit it hard and, um, or quietly, whatever the song's asking you to do. And, um, and I find like just understanding that, having that mental picture in my head like helps me to just really bring, um, I don't know, just like a really solid, confident sound and bringing what the song needs. Um, so getting to a point of like listening to the lyrics and kind of feeling like, okay, when we get that chorus, it's like triumphant, like victory part, you know? So like drums, I wanna like um, accent that, you know, on the drums or if it's like kind of mellow and it's kind of more reflective lyrically, maybe I wanna like hold back just understanding those links is really uh, is really important. And then, lastly, uh, this is my favorite. Um, this might sound really weird, um, but spontaneous noodling is what I mean. So this might sound really strange, but basically, like um, I just think guitar players. I'm sure we've got friends that play guitar, and they just sit in the corner and they just like they're playing just random stuff, you know, just like messing around, and and they're just looking for like that little line, you know, like that riff. Um, and I, I was like, oh, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, I'm noodling. I'm just like, you know, just searching around, finding 
that thing, you know, that, that lick for that song. And I just thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. So um, this helps with creativity when, in terms of like writing parts to a song, right? So someone comes to you with like, I've, I've written a song, them and a piece of guitar, they're playing it, and they're like, I want you to put drums to it. And it's like, a lot of times you're like, okay, I want to think of something cool to put down, but like, what, you know? So um, spontaneous noodling, basically what I mean is like, not listening to the, like, uh, not even listening to the song the whole way through, just like, play along straight from the off. Like, first thing you think of, play it. And a lot of times it's like trial and error, like you play something and it's just awful, you know, it's like completely wrong, not good at all. Um, but I just found like, quite often you'll like, stumble across something, you know, just something that just like, clicks. And you're like, oh, I would never have necessarily, if I'd sat down and like, thought this through, I probably wouldn't have thought that. It's just almost like random, you know? And then, so I take that and I'm like, this is like the building block. This is like the, the core of the rhythm. And then I'm gonna build everything else out from that. So, um, so that's kind of like uh, been huge, I think. And, and maybe even like playing the song through a couple of times, but like the second time through, you're like, I'm gonna play it totally differently. I'm not gonna play anything I previously played. I'm gonna play something totally new, totally different style sound. Um, and then you're just like picking like, oh, that sounded cool, that sounded cool, building it from that, does that make sense? I think it was, uh, you know, Hosanna, Hillsong, um, a guy called Paul Mabry laid, uh, played the drums for that. It's got like a really like, um, like everybody knows this, the song from the drums, you know, like, um, you know, like you hear that and you know, okay, Hosanna, right? So I think, um, I remember him saying like, that kind of came about um, pretty spontaneously. They were just like jamming it, that song through. Um, I think they were like in the midst of recording the album and they wanted Paul to play that, play drums on that song. And so he came into the studio like the day they recorded it and just was like laying something out. And it was completely like, not really heard the song before. It's just like going for it, you know? And so um, that like hi-hat things like, Like, kind of odd, you know, like, never really hear, you don't hear that a lot. But he just, like, that was, like, one of the things he heard um, listening to that song, you know, acoustically. It was like, oh, that'd be cool. And then he built the rest of the song off that. So it's just, like, spontaneously, like, I'm not going to think about it, play the first thing that comes to my head. Um, and doing it in the safety of, like, a safe environment where you're just with a friend and no one else is necessarily hearing it. Um, done it where it just sucks, honestly. Like, you get nothing. You feel like you haven't accomplished anything because you're, like, can't, nothing's working today and sometimes you're like I'm glad it's just me and this guy like the rest of the world has no idea what just happened and then sometimes you just like stumble across something that's just like that's it that's the part you know um, so yeah just even with a friend like even if you play cajon or percussion um, just like yeah get a friend if they've written a song just get together and just start figure stuff out it doesn't even need to be used in the future it doesn't have to be like this pressure of like this is going on an album it can just simply be like, I want to grow creativity, um, creatively. Just want to build like my, my musical palette, so to speak. Um, let's just play and whatever happens, happens and we'll see what we find. So, um, does that make sense? Sweet. Um, anybody have any questions about anything to do with drumming, worship ministry? Yeah. I have a difficult time playing hymns. Yeah. Three, four time. Three, four time? Yeah. So I'll stick to basic 
drum roll and kick. I want to see somebody do more, and I'll pick up the idea. Yeah. And I looked it up on YouTube, but everything is about walks. Right. Walks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. I think, um, it's funny, we're actually looking at 3-4 um, this week. Um, like, the most famous, like, there's a lot of hymns in 3-4, right? Like, especially some of the older, like, you get some of the kind of stranger hymns that you've never really heard of. They get pulled out occasionally. Like, the worship is like, oh, we're playing this song today. And you're mm -hmm. like, never heard of it, but it's in 3-4. Um, like thinking of like in Christ alone, it's probably one of the more famous three, four hymns. Um, like honestly, like the first thing I would do um, with any new time signature or any time signature that's kind of like just doesn't feel like super like natural to you, um, I would I, honestly like counting in your head the whole time. So um, Christ alone is like uh, one and two and three and one and two and three. So like the kick. I just start really simply, like kick on one, snare on three, um, and then just count, count along until um, the, the kind of aim you want is with different time signatures is to get it to a point where you can, you know, like four, four, I'm not, you're not counting, you just, you're just feeling it, right? You recognize the pattern. So you want to get to that point with like odd time signatures where you're not having to like sit there and count it out. It's like, you just know, you get that feel, you know? So like, uh, I start really simply. So, one and two and three and one and two and three and one and two and three. And like, build off of that. So you're like, okay, kind of got that down. Okay, I'm going to add like an extra kick here. Or actually, that's where sight reading really helps. Like, write that thing out, draw those bar lines in, and write out the pattern. And um, seeing it visually helps hugely. That's a major one. Um, but then you can start to add around, so I'm, like, I'm comfortable with the timing, so now I can change where the, the, the snare is placed. So like, instead of like, one and two and three, like, one and two and three and one and three. I just start to add like, change where the accent falls even, like, most of the time in like, with hymns, um, I'd keep it more simple than anything else, just like, Okay, I've got that basic beat, and that might be my beat for um, uh, the chorus. It's just like solid, and then um, and then you can just kind of even mess around a little bit with the verses because I think Christ had kind of some hills and valleys. You know, it's like high, you know, loud parts. Some of the verses are like kind of down, um, but yeah, even in the down parts, like keep counting. That's one thing I always struggle with, like count when it's big and then it drop out, and I just sit there and I'm like. Oh no, oh where are we? You know, having to try and figure out where you are. So, um, so yeah, even that, just like, keep that counting going until, um, until it becomes like second nature. So, yeah. Anybody else? Sweet. I got another question. Yeah. Uh, we're getting ready to uh, close our drums up. Right. And kind of opposed to that because kind of like to feel you know, what's outside, you know. Yeah. So how do you how do you overcome that? Just playing from your Yeah. Um, it's a good question. Um, I personally I played with in ears. I played um, at well at Costa Mesa. Um, we we all serve at Calvary there, and like they have no drum screen, like nothing. Um, so it's like drums and then front row, and and like typically on a Sunday morning, it's like it's pretty quiet, like volume wise. So that's always been the tr the tricky part. It's like 
playing drums to a point where it's still got energy and vibe and sounds full and cool, but like at a really controlled volume. Um, but before that, like growing up in my, my home church in England, like we had uh, just the room was really bad acoustically. So um, it was like full like cage, basically like roof, all the sides, drum screen, you know, like everything. And so, and I grew up with that from like when I first started playing drums there. So for me, it doesn't, I found personally, um, if you've got in, if you're using in-ears without a drum screen or in-ears in a drum screen, doesn't really make a huge difference, personally. Because I've just found, as soon as I've got earphones in, I feel disconnected from everyone anyway. Um, so it doesn't matter whether there's a screen in front of me or not, I just, it doesn't. But if you're playing like, you know, like a wedge or something, yeah, and then you're making the change, the full change, that can be tricky for sure. Um, I think uh, one of the things we look we looked at because like sometimes when you got earphones in and stuff, um, you lose a lot of like the low ends. Like you don't feel the music as much just because you've got no like um, amp. We don't even have amps on stage now. Like completely clear. So like you lose a lot of the low end and the the oomph, you know. Um, so that's what we've kind of been battling with. Is how to you can actually buy like a, they call it a thumper. I don't know if you've seen those like. It's like this, um, this like box that you put. Um, Joel loves them, but they, <laughs> you um, you put it on uh, the bottom of your like seat or like bass players. They you put them on like a like a little riser, and it basically every time you kick that the kick drum, it gives you like a kick up the backside. Basically, like it's just like a real thump. Um, so even when like he's standing on like a little riser thing and it's got this like thumper on he he like feels the, the kick um which is really weird it's really surreal it's just an odd odd thing but um that actually helps a lot because a lot of times like the kick's the thing that you miss out on when you put it in a drum screen and in ears you don't necessarily get that punch from it so yeah i'd say like um if you can avoid using a drum screen at all if that means like controlling the dynamics more or maybe even using rods for a while and just like slowly transition into it instead of just going straight from like wedge and like no drum screen to like in-ears behind it you know it's a completely different environment so maybe like if you can like um, kind of talk your way around that just like <laughs> easing into it it's, it's a lot easier yeah going from one extreme to the other is tricky so um, yeah I think we're, we're done right yeah sweet so I hope that helped. <laughs> but um, yeah, if you've got any questions, like, we're here the rest of the day, so feel free to come and find me. We're actually going to start the next lab in just a few minutes, so if you want to join in on that, you can. But if not, it's great having you.